Hey SEOs and content marketers, say goodbye to crazy spreadsheet mashups and experience unprecedented connectivity between your SEO planning and reporting data. Introducing Audience Key, technology for keyword mapping, content brief automation, and rank tracking that form an SEO strategy system providing unparalleled feedback loops between planning, reporting, and optimization activities. Put your time and energy into strategy, not data upkeep. Visit audiencekey.com and apply for a free trial today. It's the 12th of October, 2023, and uh, well, formalities first, this is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media and Christine Schackinger from Sites Without Walls. Uh, we, have a, uh, we have a guest in, uh, Morgan, McGrew from, Morgan McGraw, I'm sorry, from SeedTag. Morgan's going to be on the show in a few moments. Uh, before we get to the news, before we get to Morgan, before we talk about AI or Google or... Uh, web marketing, or much of anything. Webcology is a show that has uh, traditionally worn its politics on its sleeve, although we try to keep our personal politics out of the stories and how we cover them um, in instances uh, such as we, we would, if, 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 if we are going to have politics come into the story, we want it to be related to technology. Much like the the, the, the arguments that, that uh, Dave Davies and I used to have about net neutrality, and until of course I, I brought him around to the understanding of the importance of net neutrality. Ha ha. Politics is um, a part of pretty much everything um, in economics and in the world, and. Uh, Sometimes things are uh, just 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 go beyond and and defy politics, as uh, we learned last earlier this week. Um, the terrorist attacks that happened in uh, all throughout throughout southern Israel, coming from and in Gaza, and as uh, we're seeing what's the 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 result of those attacks with unspeakable destruction and loss of life um and this is going to go on for a little while and it's going to hurt for a little while um and it cannot go without mention we weren't broadcasting when 9-11 happened although many people involved in um the search marketing community were working and active and you know um very, very aware when when, when 9-11 happened, but um, this is an event that has the same and will have the same long-term repercussions as, as 9-11. This is, uh, again, it's, it's, it's impossible to know exactly what the right thing to say about a terribly wrong thing is, and there is no right thing to say. As far as we know, Everyone from the search marketing and SEO family who lives um, either in Israel or in Gaza is okay. We've not heard otherwise, and we've been checking um, very regularly. Um, be kind to each other. Try to keep 
anger and hate and the pain of all this out of um, our lives and our businesses and our interactions with each other. Um, and just be aware that a lot of people are hurting. It took um, months for people to get used to living in a world where the shock of something like this could happen after 9-11. It's going to take months for people to get used to living in a world where the shock of this happened. Be kind to people and give people a break for the next little while, eh? Yeah, very uh, well said, Jim. I know we have a lot of people in the SEO community that um, are Jewish or live in Israel or, you know, are part of this situation, so... Yeah, um, just it's again. I've been I've been trying to figure out how I feel about this and how to how to, how to speak about this or write about it or capture my thoughts about it for for the last six days. And the enormity of it still makes me weep every time I just think about it. I'm having a hard time getting through getting through this this right now. Yeah, it's a just a unimaginable situation. Yeah. Um, our, our, our love goes out to everybody affected by, by the, by the violence, um, uh, absolute condemnation of terrorism and of, 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 of violence, political violence against innocent persons. Um, yeah. So if you were learning about what's happening in, uh, Israel and Gaza, if you were learning about Israel's war in Hamas and you were learning about this horrible, horrible event and you were getting your information from Twitter or X or Twixter, um, you might want to find another information source. In fact, you're strongly recommended to find another information source because after a year of tempting um, and... and <laughs> promoting outright anti-Semitic and Nazi content on Twitter. The predictable has happened, and Twitter is a... Um, I don't think you're going to find um, terribly accurate or factual information at Twitter. And if you do, that information is going to get shot down and bastardized very quickly in the stream. Well, I will put one caveat in there, and that is there are still known reporters and people on there that do verify their information, but you want to be very careful about what you're looking at and sharing outside of those, because even the EU uh, yesterday gave Musk 24 hours to address the illegal content and disinformation. I don't know what the proposed punishment could be, but it's it's apparently like there's always disinformation on social media. We know that, but this isn't the normal disinformation. This is really bad and, and part of it's just the pure process that must took out all the reviewers so they expect community notes to handle all this and community notes are just volunteers and the system on community notes takes a while for a note to get surfaced that you know addresses the factual the non-factual issues but there's a lot of purveyors of disinformation right now and fake fake videos um you know, things like that. Uh, a lot of videos people are sharing, like that are disinformation accounts or sharing videos that are things that happened like 10 years ago or 20 years ago. So please make sure before you share anything that you verify it. And please only make sure to share things from people who verify what they 
share. Like news sites have you know standards around that. If you're doing CBS News, they've verified it before they share it. Could they be wrong? Occasionally, yes, but you know they try to make sure that doesn't happen. So, but yeah, you do have to be very careful because Twitter's always been the place to go when news is breaking, right? Jim, like you can yeah, well, Twitter. Absolutely, Twitter. Twitter is being the virtual um, town square for well, the last last last. Uh, half dozen years uh, yeah. minimum uh, last last 10 years yeah but again now there's a likelihood that what you're reading again is um badly biased and this is a incredibly complicated um eons old situation um it's decades old but it's also centuries old and uh, there's no way to do a quick, deep dive. So learning about this from social media, even in the best of conditions. Um, but when, 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 when you're on a network that is literally actively spreading purposefully disinformation. Um, yeah. And this is absolutely the wrong time. For, 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 for disinformation, people need a fairly unbiased view of what's going on around them. Yeah, so check, check, check. If you see something, don't just share it because of the shock value. Make sure that you verify from legitimate news sources, um, reporters and people and like, you know, that, ha that actually know what happened um, before you start sharing it because we can all be part of the problem or we can all hold on for a second and make sure what we share is legitimate so we um, we're not part of that problem. Yeah, let's 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 move away from uh, from any politics whatsoever because that's not what that what this show is supposed to be about. And yeah, uh, uh, well, it's got to come up again and again and again, ain't it? Um, okay, WordPress wants to know what you want. So this is on. Believe it or not, but WordPress does an annual survey every every year. They actually ask us what we want. Although this year they're specifically asking. Um, SEO uh, professionals, affiliates, recipe bloggers, uh, small business owners, and advertisers. Um, what do you want out of WordPress? I'm excited because I didn't actually know they do it every year. <laughs> I saw this. I was like, yay. Yeah, I'm working so, on four WordPress sites right now. <laughs> here's the deal. It's an ongoing survey, but the survey is closing soon. If you go to Search Engine Journal, um, you can find a link uh, directly to the survey. Um, the article was posted on October 11th, so it's it's still up in their uh, in in their in Church and Journal's uh, top top churn. Um, get your opinion known. I mean, but our community is large enough that if, if, if a number of SEOs go and actually make their opinions known, WordPress will will get a message from us. I mean, we changed Wix, didn't we? Well, we didn't change Wix as much as Wix changed for us. Um, but, but I think it was a lot of the, a lot of the of reviews and chatter that, 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 yeah. that, that, that pushed Wix, certainly. Yeah, they saw us commenting. They did those competitions. And finally, they have somebody that actually communicates to the SEO community to find out how they can do things better, which is awesome. So again, if you want to, if you want to get your um, opinion into WordPress, get it in soon. The um, I don't know exactly when the survey is closing, but it's it should be closing sometime this week. It's been it's been going on for about a week now. 
I was looking for the date, but it doesn't actually say. So just closing soon works. Just closing soon works. So, yeah. um, and closing soon doesn't mean do this tomorrow. Closing soon means do this after you've listened to this podcast, <laughs> like immediately. Um, so results are coming in from the, uh, from the spam update, the international spam update. And apparently it's working. Did we get a notification if the U.S. is involved? Because no one would tell us. We got like, it's these countries and other languages. And we're like, does English in there? We don't know. Well, English is in there, but it's a, um, it's not what Google was targeting specifically. Okay. Um, Google, I think, was looking for um, a number of websites that copied uh, text, maybe translated text, and is publishing and are now publishing them in multiple language on multiple sites, you know, like serious spam coverage. But it, mm -hmm. it often it often all, all all originates from the same place. They, you know, scrape and copy and 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 replicate and you know, surround it with your ads and scrape, boom, you've got yourself a small income. Yeah, exactly. Scrape skin post. Scrape spin post. Now spinning now is often don't want chat GPT, but so um the uh, October uh, 2023 spam update uh, started of October 4th, so last Wednesday, and um, it's enough time, about a week and a bit, to, uh, to, to, to churn some results, and apparently um, some of the more egregious sites that were um, polluting search results um, are, 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 are starting to vanish. Let's hope. I'm, I don't um, have a lot of faith in the results lately. They've been pretty bad, so we'll see how it is at the end of the two weeks, so. One thing you can normally rely on with Google is if they got something good going, they'll find a way to kill it. <laughs> That's for sure. Oh, um, it's good to know this one is rolling out. More importantly, um, that 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 people are seeing results from this effort um, in six or seven days after the effort, like start fully beginning. Um, it's also kind kind of kind of good to know the timing on that. So we've been talking a lot about um, AI in search, AI in search results, uh, uh, generative search results, um, and the, the the output of it. Um, we we we've dealt with the debate: should you or shouldn't you train your uh, content on, or allow AI to train on your content? And Google, Bing, both promised that using robots text, you could you know, block uh, uh, AI from uh, training on your site, but do it at the robot sex level. Doesn't work that way with um, SGE content though. So um, if you don't want your content in SGE, in, in the search generative experience, you don't want your content used to train that large language model, the AI that runs off of it, you'll have to use a no index tag, which uh, means you're basically cutting your that page specifically off from search in general. Yeah, and you know, the, this just plays into my theory, it's just my theory, but also some of the things we see um, that the Google SG is not a true chat model, like ChatGPT that they're using existing things that they have like featured snippets and redoing them with LLMs. Because they say you can't get out of the SGE, you can just stop training on it, so it doesn't really make sense. <laughs> so, but the no index will take the page completely out of the index, so it won't be in Google and it won't be trained on. 
Indeed. So that's a trade-off, isn't it? Yeah, big, big, kind of big trade-off. So uh, yeah, because yeah, because they won't confirm how they do how they do their model. So yeah. of course, the other method, um, putting a robots uh, using robots text, will block that specific bot. Um, so you say uh, AI bot, don't come here. Yeah. That's a site-wide thing. Um, you, you, so it's not like you can divvy up your content and let it ha go after some content, but keep a, a firewall around other content. That's a site-wide. At first glance, the uh, no index meta tag is a cool idea, except it's um, not no index for a specific bot. It's no index for all bots. Yes, so it takes your page out of the index. So if your page needs to be in Google, you cannot use this to keep it from training on it or appearing in SGE. They had no training tag will keep it from training on it, but for some reason doesn't keep it out of SGE, and that's where we get into what model are they really using. But uh, but yeah, if you do use that no index tag, you will lose that page in search. Yeah. Um, so that's something I um, wish SEO would do a survey, or I'm sorry, I wish Google would do a survey, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Um, we got, you know, we got, we got time for one or two more stories. I, I, yeah. I, I would really like to get, uh, to get, to get our guest Morgan in as soon as possible. Um, where do you want to go? Oh gosh. I, I, uh, I was on a panel with Morgan this morning. So I didn't have a lot of time to do. Okay. You had a lot of time to, uh, here's one. I think <laughs> that's kind of up your alley. Google uh, announced today that, um, Google news, uh, showcase is now going to show in Google discover. Uh, Google News Showcase is something new to American users. Uh, users in, in the EU, Canada, India, wherever else aren't seeing this yet. Um, but if you see a little notation in um, Google Discover that says Showcase, um, that's where this is coming from. Well, that will be very interesting to see. Well, you, you, got, you got some publishers on your roster, don't you? I do. Yeah. So I'll have to do some deep dives on this and make sure that they met all eligibility requirements to appear in the showcase. I don't know if there are any or not. That's what I have to go look at. Okay. Lastly, uh, before we before we, we jump over to Morgan, um, quick update on the uh, Google antitrust uh, suit. It's um, moving forward. Um, it's uh, we're in the third of what's scheduled to be a 10-week trial. Um, Google uh, is trying to defend its dominance in search against a uh, DOJ, a Department of Justice investigation that actually began under the Trump administration, but um, was continued because there's probably a great deal of merit to it. Google yeah. used its enormity and its money to uh, continually guaranteeing, uh, continually set the stage to guarantee its dominance. Yeah, and there's, we probably need to do a whole show on everything they've discovered in this trial because there's a lot, but uh, Search Engine Land right now has an article that is keeping updates. Mm -hmm. So you can go to Search Engine Land and look for the Google Search Antitrust Trial updates. So there's a lot in here, but yeah, we all know that Google has used its dominance at times to stay dominant. Well, so um, it will be interesting to see how this goes because normally, because of their amount of 
lobby lobbyists and the money they put into lawyers, these things don't make it to trial. So the fact that it's made it to a, a real evidential trial, like there wasn't a deal made first, um, is very interesting. So it'll be interesting to see the outcome. When we use a word like dominant, I just want to kind of give a, a, a scale for what we mean. As of June uh, 2023, Google had 90.68% of the global search market. Yeah. That was the most used search engine in the world, followed quite closely by its nearest competitor, Bing, at 3.23%. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, this must be so embarrassing for Bing. I would be, I would, I, I'm on those red faces in Redmond, no doubt. Number three is Yahoo. <laughs> 3.17%. And Yahoo um, exists merely as a rumor right now, but um, it's, it's on its way back. If, uh, well, we do know some really good SEOs working with. Working at Yahoo. Back. They're working yeah. to come on their way back. Because, God, honest to goodness, would you say Yahoo is actually on the scene right now? No, like, but you know what? I want someone to make my email address, which is Yahoo, because I'm just never migrated all my emails over anywhere else, um, to be legit again, to be cool, you know, with, with young kids. <laughs> I, if I still held them, I'd want someone to make those shares whole again. <laughs> that's Real. Maybe, maybe we should buy shares now, because we know the team that's working there is really good. <laughs> that's, that, that's actually, that's quite true. Anyway, Google, 90.68% of all nine to 10 searches are conducted yeah. on Google. And it used to be a time when you could look at Bing and go, you know what, that's probably about 10% of the market. Not anymore. Yeah, and even, that's not, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say, I think we we're going to say the same thing. Go ahead. Well, even after they took the massive roll of the dice about a year ago on um, chat GPT and, and, and just integrating that as part of the, 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 the search yeah. and all things being all things uh, Microsoft uh, Office Suite experience. And it, in fact, they've lost market share since then. Yeah, they got more usage. So it's costing a lot more, but they didn't get any market share. So yeah, it's, it's not been good. I, and, and I think it's just, I, they have really good people that work on Bing. I mean, we, we know the people personally that actually representatives for Bing with the SEO community, um, but it just can't get that traction for some reason. Okay, so the reason we're talking about Google's dominance again is because of the um, antitrust hearing um, that, that is ongoing. Um, we've learned a whole bunch of neat stuff during the, during the hearing. For instance, Google does use clicks and rankings, not uh, necessarily directly, but in a pretty cool indirect route fairly directly, Google does use clicks and rankings. It's a really cool thread out on um, Twixter, which I hate yeah. to recommend, but Ryan, Ryan Jones uh, is um, noodling, noodling through Google's use of clicks um, on, on, on Twitter and actually makes, makes a pretty cool thread. Yeah, I'll check it out. I have not had a chance to check it out because again, I was on a panel this morning about AI and ethics with Morgan, our guest, so I didn't get a chance to look at it yet, but I will after our, our talk. Our our podcast today, although I, I still just think that the click thing is what Matt Cutts told us years ago, but I haven't read Ryan's thing and Ryan's very smart. So there's a chance he knows something I don't, but Matt Cutts told us years ago that they do use click data for pogo sticking to resort relevance, but not that it was part of a ranking signal of any sort. 
Well, there's yeah. there's a number of ethical concerns around um, a number of things Google has done and continues to do to uh, hold its dominant position and to make money off its dominant position. Last week, we talked about how they jimmy the numbers around towards the end of quarter to uh, 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 change the search queries that produce different valued AdWords that they can get a whole bunch more value on. Uh, when you click them. Anyway, speaking of ethics, this is this is going to be an interesting interview. We have, um, uh, as, as Christine noted, uh, just earlier today um, in, in Las Vegas, uh, Christine sat on a panel with Morgan McGraw, a 20-year veteran of the digital uh, media industry. He's worked at Microsoft, Pandora, Snap, and now works at a Madrid-based um, uh, AI um, ethics and monitoring group called SeedTag. CTAG is the redefining contextual targeting through a privacy first approach based on GTRP standards. That's the EU advertising standards that's caused Google to um, abandon UA3 and adopt GA4. Thanks, Morgan. Um, Morgan McGraw, <laughs> welcome to Webcology. Really a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for thanks for dropping in again, especially after on on really short notice. You were on a panel this morning on AI and ethics. Let's start there. Um, what was this panel about? Um, Christine, jump in, please. When 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 uh, if if you want to add to it, but but more, what, what was this panel about? Yeah, we were um, speaking to a group of marketers, um, both brand and agency marketers. Um, here in Las Vegas, uh, and really trying to keep people informed on as there's continued innovation and iteration within AI tools, what needs to be considered, not only from usage, but the ethics that are being uh, applied um, to it, or what are the ethics that should be considered when using it, not only from a professional basis, but also in a, prefer uh, in a personal usage. Um, so we wanted to really bring to light some of the things that need to be considered. Um, I think that there's a, a bevy of things uh, that marketers really need to be um, checks, checking uh, before using a lot of these tools. Um, Christine was very informative for the group um, uh, and, and really showed some of the pitfalls that they can fall into. Um, and, and should really be considered. And we reiterated those. I think that, you know, we touched on things such as, you know, we've got the Writers Guild um, fighting for uh, likeness uh, with AI, right? And, and making sure that they're being uh, credited properly. We have songwriters who are fighting for copyrights and publishing, um, composing rights. You know, we've, we've got artists that are trying to maintain some kind of integrity um, and uh, ownership of, of their images that they're creating that are being potentially, um, you know, manipulated by AI. So we went through a, 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 a broad range of topics, but we tried to bring it back for this group to marketing and really what it meant for them and making sure that they understood what the potential impact could be for their brands. Okay, well, Christine has been... Um studying and uh, uh, learning about and tearing apart AI for, well, I don't know, for, for a, a, over a year now. Um, and so I, 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 I can see what, what, what the knowledge base she brought to the panel. You're with an organization called CTAG uh, based in Madrid. Um, yep. 
what are you guys doing with 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 AI that that brought you to this panel? Yeah, I guess that was a good uh, thing. I needed to to bring a little frame of reference for the group, uh, even so why I was there. You know, I think the lens that we come through is we're really helping brands ensure that they're reaching audiences succinctly as we become a more privacy-centric world. Um, our focus is more from the marketing side of how are you finding succinct, accurate, relevant audiences without the use of cookies or third-party data? Um, again, we are a company that's rooted in a privacy-first approach, um, being born in Madrid and the, in the EU, um, and based on those GDPR standards that we want to adhere to first and foremost. I think we all know that the EU, and specifically Germany, um, they have the highest standards for user privacy, and we wanted to make sure that that's um, – I was using that as a jump-off place to discuss the way that we approach contextual targeting, contextual analysis of content across the, the open web, um, the way that we determine what people's interests are, and then being able to create um, contextual targeting for brands to ensure precise ad placements based on that uh, online content that they want to um, align to. So for example, if we wanted to find somebody who was interested in in going to Hawaii, maybe that marketer wants to find some, some very specific people who want who are interested in ecotourism and sustainability and um, cultural moments, and we can help find that content around the web and build audiences for those brands to align to. Now, the question is, and I think that we'll get into this a little bit more, is how do we do that? And really, how do we do that in a um, privacy-first manner? How do we do it? where we don't apply biases to the AI who's doing image and text analysis and, and ensure that we're being accurate. And that was really the root of the conversation today as well, which is privacy, transparency, uh, and, and understanding what steps publishers or partners are taking towards um, correcting any biases they might have within their AI tools and training. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Christine, I, go. Sorry, yeah, sorry. I just, it's okay, just because I spent time uh, with Morgan this morning on the panel. I just wanted to throw in there that one of the things I find interesting about uh, Morgan's company that he can speak to is they have an internal set of processes to make sure that they're adhering to their best, uh, is this correct way to say it, company ethics, maybe? Um you know, that where, and Morgan, you speak to this, but uh, like where you have your prompts are reviewed by two people and you review your output. And I think those are really important. And I think it's really interesting how Morgan's company has approached the ethics of AI internally. So if he wants to talk to that or do yeah. you have a question? You know, I think contextual by design is, is about user privacy, right? And then it's about what are we, um, what technology are we using um, to ensure that we're in contr full control of how content is being categorized. So, you know, we go through, um, I don't know if we want to get in the weeds a little bit about what we do is, is essentially, but um, it gives you, this is really the power of AI to me is, is being able to go out across the entire open web and convert audience. So let's just say a brand came to us and gave us a brief on who they, their perfect target audience would be. So we would, convert that audience into numerical high dimensional vectors. And then we would go out and convert every article across the web into a numerical high dimensional vector as well. And that process is called embedding. 
Um, so what we need to be able to do, and that's a mathematical first format, right? And then we calculate the distance between the briefing and every article. It gives us something called semantic and co-occurring relations, what are most similar and what are um, somewhat similar. I'll give you the analogy of hot dogs and hamburgers might be uh, a, a semantically related, whereas hot dog and baseball would be a co-occurrence. Those two things could come up in an article or a piece of content together, very different contexts. And then really what we do is we apply an affinity score. Well, it starts there, right? And, and that's one of the pieces of the process, but we need to start to look at also through text and image analysis and, and training our AI, Liz, to have an understanding of sentiment. And what is the sentiment of an article, right? How, do, how is it reading that article? Um, and this is where we really start to have um, ethical questions that come up, not for us, but just we have to take these into consideration for biases that then can be applied to as we're categorizing this content, right? Um, so we want to have, you know, um, not only ethical best practices for um, our users and making sure that we're getting the most relevant content or, or ad experience in front of them. But we also want to make sure that there's brand suitability and brand safety and quality assurance for our advertisers, right? That they're not, their ads are not aligned to content that would be, have any um, negative ramifications for them. You know how um, AI allows us to suddenly do a million things more than we were able to do previously. <laughs> mm -hmm. Talking about AI prompts a million more questions than one might get in a, uh, in a, in a more traditional conversation. So I have um, mm -hmm. several um, bits that I've been from, from what you just said that I, I, I want to follow up on. Um, can we can we go back a little bit to um, us existing in a cookie-less world? We've been um, taken a direction um, primarily by by Google's reaction to um, the GD, GDRP, um, and uh, 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 Google has changed its approach to um, how we track. Um, the efficacy of our of our advertising and and of our efforts through um through Google Analytics or, or Universal Analytics now now into into uh, GA four. So we're in a cookieless world. That movement started four or five years ago, before the advent of OpenAI. Where is SeedTag and its thinking a couple years back? Yeah, well, the company was founded nine years ago. So the the founders themselves are two ex Googlers who really okay. didn't believe that they didn't believe that. Uh, uh, consequently, enough that Google had enough privacy standards, so they created their own company. Okay, and you know, uh, if you look at contextual, it's inherently private, right? That you're all you're doing is saying, "Do you like race cars?" I'm going to put you in front of an uh, an automotive. Article. That's the most rudimentary example that I could give. It obviously gets, and that started, that's like very, very basic old school contextual targeting where we used to have publisher specific sites that advertisers would align to. Um, they started with this privacy first uh, uh, approach nine years ago, right? Where no one really knew that cookies would be deprecated by then. But I think it was, again, and I think the lens, and this, again, I, I'm applying some bias here, but I have to take, remove myself. We're looking at it through the lens of being U.S.-based people. 
mm-hmm. they, they might have been much more advanced in their thinking, as we've seen come to light in the EU and the standards that they apply. So maybe there was something that they saw long before we really hit our desks here in the U.S. to say, hey, we need to adhere to privacy. We need to think about this down the road. Let's create a platform that is 100% cookie-less. Let's build a technology that understands every piece of content out there available, contextualize it, categorize it, make it available to advertisers while adhering to these privacy standards, as well as brand suitability and brand safety. So, so they were, in my opinion, they were they were ahead of the game. Oh, absolutely, and there was there was there was a pretty um, well informed and well formed privacy movement, privacy by design movement, um, ten fifteen years ago. Absolutely, um, and really cool that a couple a couple of Googlers look at Google and say, "Okay, we know that the change is coming. Let's get ahead of this." They went created this um, this this contextualization engine then ai comes along and you created liz did she, did she predate ai um or is she the ai you know that's a great question because to me the way i look at ai is uh it, as it relates to c ai is really an umbrella for multiple operating systems such as natural language processing, network level analysis, text analysis, vision, uh, you know, um, image analysis. So those, those are the real, you know, that's the sausage, right? That's within the case, <laughs> um, to use an analogy there. Um, I think AI kind of envelops all of that, right? So it's, it's easy for us to put it in that definable way. Um, I think that there was these pieces that were being created long ago and that, you know, AI as it emerged as a more common um, household term, um, it, it, it just took on that life as well. Okay, well, so it's easy. It's easier for me at any rate. I, I imagine. I imagine listeners might might uh, have the same thing. It's easy to visualize intelligence as a being. Now, it's not a being. Artificial intelligence <laughs> is not a being, but we often anthropomorphize it. We make it into something we can relate to. I mean, again, like like C-Tech, you, you've named your AI Liz. Um, what does? How has this um, engine, this model that you've created, where does it train? Does it train on the open web, or does it train on a contained set of data? So the, da- the data that we're utilizing is the open web and the content uh, that's available um, through publishers specifically. Um, so whether it might be somebody like uh, a Condé Nast site, like a Rolling Stone or a variety that we partner with, um, Liz is able to connect with our publisher partners that we have agreements with and analyze their, uh, their available content. And... Um, and understand in real time what that content means and the categories that they fit within. I think that that's a big difference also for what Liz does and shows the power of it. It's a global entity for AI entity that's operating in eight different languages and 12 different dialects and has the ability to understand real time relevant trending content. And then in that, those milliseconds this is happening, it's analyzing about 60,000 articles per minute. Um, applying, you know, a categorization and, um, and brand safety to that. So what we have is a tool internally that you can look at 
that actually shows you real-time trending brand safety measurements in any in, in the countries that we're measuring. Um, yeah. I'm not quite sure how to phrase this question, so please, please forgive me if I phrase it poorly. Um, <laughs> thinking of the different LLM models that are out there, the different AIs that we're, we're aware of, Chat ChatGPT being the uh, the most well known, but you know, then you have a, you have a Bard over at at at, at Google. Um, Thinking of all the models that are out there, is Liz a unique entity? Is, is, is there another AI like the one that you're using? We like to think that we're the only ones doing network level analysis. There's a lot of companies that will do page um, and URL level analysis, but network level analysis is really that ability to understand what's on a page and then the connections between users' interests of similar pages, going back to that vector dimensional modeling that we have um, and being able to make those proximities. Um, you know, again, this is, uh, it's is one piece of what we're doing. Um, we do have somewhat of our own version of chat GBT um, where we're able to ingest a, a, a brand marketers brief into our system. And within a few seconds, Liz will have gone out scanning the content universe and we'll then tell that marketer exactly what contextual categories, uh, topics and subjects and sample URLs that they should be aligning to, to reach that, to that audience. So it, it is our somewhat version of chat TBT where you put it in a prompt and you get a response. Um, it's not, it's more of a, um, from a media tactic, uh, blocking and tackling perspective, um, obviously, cause that's the business that we're in. It's being able to do that output in a matter of seconds, which typically takes some agencies or marketers weeks or months to really figure out where do I find my audiences? And this, and that's a real uh, um, astonishing ability of, of Liz and AI itself is to be able to do these different types of um, measurements or, uh, you know, reads within seconds, you know, to be able to have that type of output after analyzing millions and millions of articles whether it be liz or just in general ai that's where i get i'm in awe and that really that that's the that's the that's the really great application now we have to start looking at what are we doing behind the scenes to ensure that they're done ethically we don't have biases and you know to, to put a um put a punctuation on what christine said earlier it's like you know we do have a review process where the system's checking against biases in its outputs and cross-validated by human auditors. So it's a multi-step process to ensure that we're categorizing content correctly. Yeah, output is one thing. Dealing with, with the enormity of output is, is quite another. Um, and that opens the entire Pandora's box of, um, of, of, of filtering, of ethics, of making, of making decisions um, uh, before, b before introducing the eye in the first place. Um, um, what is the most important aspect of, um, the ethics behind creating an LLM to inform a client? You know, I think the, the guardrails that we're able to stay within are, are kind of that, um, that artificial narrow intelligence where you're working within a specific data set. I think you asked me earlier, like, what are we working off of for prompts? And, you know, again, it's the open web. Um, we're not in a place where it's general intelligence for, you know, 
self-driving cars or IBM Watson, or, you know, we're not even near any place like a super intelligence, like a HAL 9000 Skynet matrix agents type situation. Um, we're really just creating an output based on the, on the data that's given to us. And that in this instance is, a, is the content across the open web. Now, again, there is, it's coming online and offline. We know how much content's created every single day. That's, that's the constant uh, information that's being fed into it um, for analysis. And then the output is, is fairly, um, we try and make it as, you know, there's 695 different dimensions, right? And we try to two-dimensionalize it for our own human visualization. <laughs> so um, there's, a, there's a lot more just to simplify all of these things that are happening from an output perspective. So, so I have a burning question to ask you that I know everyone probably wants to know. And that is, why did it get the name Liz? <laughs> this has been, this has been a, a widely debated uh, topic within our own company, um, which I believe, if I were to just make my own guesses, that no one will give an answer because it, it leads to burning questions like this in conversations. There's also some, <laughs> um, you know, People might make their own assumptions. Um, it's, it's, I, from what I understand, it's not the name of uh, any of the founders' children. Um, <laughs> Liz is just one of those nice names like Alexa and Siri. I think that um, is friendly. And, and, you know, I think in, in a world of ad tech, where we're working within ones and zeros and science is pretty much the root of what we do. A little bit of art sprinkled in there isn't too bad either. So I think this is our our part of the art and the science. And Liz brings a Liz brings a little smile to to my face. Well, and and I, I have to like <laughs> it because my middle name's Elizabeth. So <laughs> well, there you go. There you there go. You go. Yeah, Liz is yeah. easy easy to remember too, right? Liz. Very easy to remember. So there's really no story behind the name other than the story is hidden, like it's amorphous. Not, nothing that's been validated from anyone's lips to my ears so and if i do find <laughs> it out i'll be sure to send a follow-up that you can you can share with the listeners <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> i love it looking forward how um how much will ai be used to understand our our websites our audiences their intentions and how to best, um, I, I guess, how to best get messages to them. I mean, the experience you've you, you've had so far. Yeah, you know, we're 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 already doing that, right? So when we're working with these publisher partners and their their websites, you know, we're understanding the content that's on it, not only from text but image. We 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 have image analysis too, where you can put in. Uh, keyword and it will pull up every single image across the web and, and you can um, align contextually to the images as well as the con the text content. Um, so we have a good understanding of that. We also have a good understanding of how the content is consumed on publisher partner sites. This isn't a one-to-one -one measurement, but more of the, the feedback loop that we're getting based on, um, let's say that uh, Christine likes to scroll very quickly through content. Well, we'll understand that. We'll see that that's a scroll speed on a specific type of device. And we'll, we'll insert an ad accordingly, probably at the bottom where it would be prevalent. 
And, you know, you, Jim, might be somebody who's more of a methodical reader of an article and will understand the scroll speed and the way that that content is being consumed. And we'll insert an ad in the middle that might capture your attention. And I might be somebody who likes to watch the video at the top of an article and view that through and, and I'll be served an ad accordingly. And that's part of the AI as well as now not only understanding the content, the best, the best contextual environments to deliver an ad but then also being able to understand what ad to deliver based on that user's content consumption behavior, making it the best experience, not only for that user, but also for the brand. Because quite frankly, you know, there are dollars behind this and no brand, they want to be effective and efficient with their, their media spends. Um, so we believe that, you know, if we're doing the right thing, lining brands with the right contextual um, uh, audiences and the content they're consuming, um, that we're going to see greater outcomes. And, and this is really going back to what we touched on before, which is, you know, with the deprecation of cookies eminently coming soon, I mean, you probably can only reach about 30% of the open web that, that has a quote unquote addressable audience based on cookies. Um, we're going to need to, companies are going to need to be much more succinct about what they're doing for delivering ads to consumers in lieu of having cookies. And, and we believe that this technology, contextual is the future and being able to, um, and we wanna, you know, obviously we consider ourselves at the forefront of that. Um, so, you know, that's really our, our current understanding of what you just said, like not where we're going, but what we're currently doing. Now, where do we go from here? That's where we have some, you know, platforms, you know, the open web is probably easiest because it can scale. It's when you start getting into other platforms such as CTV and can you do this on social at scale and can you do it accurately? Social, social has probably a whole other, you know, uh, slew of challenges that it has. Cause when you start to talk about, you know, um, ethics and biases or even the type of content that's out there, as you alluded to at the beginning of the, of the podcast um i think that's a those are some waters that everybody should wade into carefully um but that those are the next places where we want to be able to make connections can you do this with out of home right can you do this um at other advertising pl placements so you're you're being served contextually relevant ads i, I don't know about no, you but no, i don't like television stream uh how your your, your netflix viewership I, I can think of a zillion ways that 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 you can sort of apply this analysis to um, yeah. to people's habits. Well, we've seen that, you know, Hulu has done some interesting things where they're actually asking, you know, in commercial breaks, what types of ads you like. But what if, you know, <laughs> I actually, you know, what if I actually, you know, made some really educated, uh, you know, ma mathematically relevant um, brand safe, suitable decisions and said, okay, you watch this type of content. Here's the ads that I'm going to insert um to you so you there's it's happening now but how do we start to do that holistically for marketers right how can they do this across platforms where they actually then start having measurement and that's a whole other conversation is cross-platform measurement in an accurate and succinct way which i think that you know nobody's been able to really figure out like where if my dollars are on the web and social and on linear and on ctv how do i reach these audiences accurately correctly effectively and efficiently and measured but that's that's a whole other podcast morgan we have um three or four more conversations just stemming off the last paragraph you spoke but i understand you have a meeting in two minutes from now um <laughs> yeah. i was I, I got a big note on my screen saying top of the hour 
Morgan, top of the hour. <laughs> um, you have a deadline. So um, I want to talk about about Google's old cohort, cohorts of things. It's got this whole cohort of things feeling about CTAG, but this is obviously so much more beyond that. Um, but did, did, did Google's ideas around grouping peoples into cohorts, did that help inform where CTAG um, started from? You know, I couldn't speak to if it started from that, but again, just uh, as a reminder, we our founders are two ex Googlers, so indeed. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know what the, uh, the the sphere of influence was um, in its totality for for the inception of CTAG and 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 the iterations we've gone through. But you know, when I talk with marketers about oh, we do contextual targeting, we do cohorts, I think there there's some real definitions that need to be put around that as well. Um, Again, based on just the complete evolution of contextual targeting, um, but I wouldn't say that you know. I'd say early days that it might be a, a an educated guess is to say that they were influenced by that, but I can't speak on their behalf. <laughs> no, it, it, it certainly has that feeling, and that was that's where Google was 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 their first impulse after trying to move away from cookies. That was the first thing they did. So sure. I haven't heard a lot about that recently, but. Um, in, in thinking about seed tag and how seed tag does what it does, it, 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 it gives a lot to think about. Morgan, I, I can't keep you any longer as much as I very much want to, but I'm gonna, so I'm going to have to invite you back again sometime in the future. I'd love to. I'll come back anytime you like. Um, Morgan thank McGraw you, Morgan. from uh, from seed tag. Um, thank you so much for spending time with us today, man. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Okay. Um, well, friends, that was uh, Morton McGraw. Um, works with uh with, with C tag and C tag is uh the redefining contextual targeting um machine named Liz. <laughs> I love yeah, that contextual machine named Liz. Liz. That was fun. But, um how did you get on this panel, Christine? Um like, what was the process what was the process of getting the gig? Process. There's really no process. Uh well, well someone called you because, up and said, hey, want you to talk? Well, Las Vegas Internet Marketers Association, LaVima, I belong to, and I've done chat GPT talks for them before. Mm. And I know the person who runs it. So when they were looking for a panelist for this conversation day, they thought of me. So they asked me to come do it. Wow. And then there, there was someone else local that was on the panel as well. But um, I, I found his, I, I find his uh, tech fascinating. And I just love that they have a whole internal ethics process to make sure that their AI stays on track. It's pretty awesome. Absolutely, and 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 moreover, um, we. I mean, do 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 you remember a few years back when 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 Google was going through the um, what was it two two and a half years ago where they introduced the cohorts of things, and yeah. everyone was like, "What the hell is that all about?" Um, I, I I couldn't stop feeling that vibe as as Morgan was talking about um, how how seed tag worked, um, and there was there was. How to say it? There was some interesting thought behind the cohorts of things. Um, I was finding that a uh, a really useful tool to show my clients who Google thought was looking at their websites. Yeah, that's right. I forgot you could do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, so you, many you, things so fast. <laughs> well, indeed, and like like I said, like we said earlier, yeah. uh, often when Google's got a good thing going, they look at it, smile, and put it up against the wall yeah there is actually a twitter account about things google killed <laughs> yeah they, they go old yeller on it um 
you know, that just brings you to another point real quick, though. Do you feel like with everything these days, like, it's changing so fast, it's almost impossible to keep up, like, every day? Well, There's just so much going on. I've We've used the phrase on the show for years, and and, and, and this isn't our phrase. This is um, Douglas Copeland, the, uh, the uh, author of, of Gen X and Microsurfs, um, Acceleration Culture. We live in we live in a world that's dictated by Moore's law, you know, where we were going to double our um, processing speed every eighteen months or so, and that's that's effectively doubling our ability to deal with the totality of the world's knowledge. Yeah. We blew through Moore's law. Intel <laughs> blew through Moore's law. What like five years ago when they figured out how to put eight chips, the equivalent of eight chips on the same little wafer of silicon. And yeah. um, like, 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 it used to be that it would take 18 months to double our knowledge speed, and now we're into the um, octogling. Yeah, and we're borderline quantum. So, that's so yes, acceleration yeah. culture. Everything is changing far faster than we're going to be able to keep up, which is one of the reasons why I think no matter you know no matter what we the dangers around it, what we think about it. Um, the world is barreling ahead into the AI revolution. And, you know, as we're going along, we're learning better ways to use it. Um, although the unscrupulous are still using it for awful and horrible things. They always will. Like my yeah. old professor used to say, like Glocks, only keep honest people honest. Yeah, well, like, you know, the hammer I, the hammer that uh, is beside my bed ain't used for ain't going to be used for nails. Yeah, it's, but it's it tools a whole bunch of different ways. And when you talk about AI regulations, people are like, well, people still do bad stuff. Of course, they'll always still do bad stuff. But the regulations do keep honest people honest, i.e. keep people that would stay inside guardrails to stay inside guardrails, which has a whole effect on, you know, a little less harm in the world. So, uh, I, yeah. If only yeah. everybody working with AI in large language models were as nice and honest as Morgan was. <laughs> well, that's what I love. That's why I wanted to have him on because, uh, you know, because it was kind of a last minute thing to have him on today. But I just I love how they approach their AI. You know, they're transparent and they ha I mean, they have people that double check the prompts, which I, I hadn't heard of somebody doing. Right. So they have two checks on the prompt, two people that review a prompt before they use it to make sure yes. that it doesn't have. And of course, there can be bias and issues in the people that check it. But at least when you have three people checking you you know you reduce those chances quite a bit so you no know, i think, think that, of what you could learn from that level of prompt analysis i mean yeah, i bet you true. they're doing they're informing themselves and they're, te they're teaching their own company as they go along while they do that eh? oh yeah i'm sure yeah and you definitely learn a lot about how it all works when you do the prompt testing right so but i do think that i think it's a model that a lot of companies could follow because i mean we don't i we don't know what google and the microsofts of the world are doing but they're not a google or microsoft but they're a big company that do a lot of you know handle a lot of big clients and um they have an internal ai ethics process and they have an internal ai basic ethics policy you know i don't know if it's a formal policy but that's what the processes are around and i think people could learn from that that companies need to start looking at having internal processes and ethics questions answered in their company before they create things so that they, they, you know, just like you would do with your branding, like, or you would do with your tone of, you know, how you write, you know, your brand tone or something, you should have an AI ethics policy internally. So everyone knows in your company exactly what they can do, what they can't do and how they can represent the AI and how transparent you are. Yeah, undoubtedly. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's, as, as this becomes part of our, um, 
our world, our business world, our, our daily world, and very likely our personal world. You know, I had coffee at, before the show. I went, I went out for coffee with the analytics expert, um, Alan Connect. I love Alan. Sorry, should I say that on the show that I love Alan? <laughs> you're absolutely welcome to. And you're going to, you know what, we're going to have him on the show again sometime soon to talk about predictive analytics. Awesome. That'd be That's great. the next, I mean, predictive, guess what? Google's going to tell you the future. Fairly yeah. accurately too, no doubt. We'll see. I don't know. I don't know if I trust Google, but I do trust Alan. Alan <laughs> there you go. That was actually my line. Damn it. That was excellent. Yeah. There you go. I don't know if I trust Google, but I do trust Alan. And yes, I do well, trust Alan, Alan yes. going to be coming on to talk about uh, predictive analytics soon. Um, we are going to hopefully be having Dave Davies come on to talk about the future of, uh, of AI search and, um, and marketing. And um, if we're very, very lucky, we will have um, a person who works to break models and a person who works to save them yeah. coming up in, in, in the coming crossing, weeks. Crossing their fingers. Yeah, yeah. So those would be crossing really good Crossing fingers and covering every base. Exactly. Exactly. That's, a, that's that's exactly what we do every week on Webcology. We cross our fingers and try to cover every base. Yes, we just hope we make it through the hour. <laughs> and you know what? We did it again this week successfully. It's, did we do uh, it? Awesome. Clock. We've gone all the way around. So um, we're gonna have to get out of here soon because I know I know there's more stuff coming up in the studio. And thank you so much to uh, Darren, Brandy, Brasco, and most importantly our our engineer Ricky. Um, on behalf of Christine Schackinger from Sites Without Walls, this is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media, and you've been listening to this episode of Webcology recorded live to podcast on the 12th of October, 2023. Hey. Halloween's almost here, guys. It is. Um, That's a religious day in Vegas. <laughs> well, you know what else that means? If Halloween's almost here. Thanksgiving's coming. And if Thanksgiving's coming... So is Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Get your Christmas stuff in order now. Actually, get it up now because actually <laughs> the sales for Cyber Black Friday and Cyber Monday have been going back as far as the middle of October. So. Gonna, well, this is, yeah, and then by this, yeah. this is officially it, the middle of October. Yes. Um, yes. Officially, so start, you're here now. Tomorrow's Friday the so, 13th. Keep your damn head down. And by the way, just a real quick notion for any company, because I've been with big billion-dollar companies who think they don't need Black Friday sections. You do, because Google changes the search results to reflect Black Friday. So you can't just make specials on your regular sales page. You need Black Friday sales content. You just you have to have it, unless you just don't want to rank that week, because the Black Friday sales will all outrank you, because they suddenly that's, shift. That's what, that like four weeks from now? Yeah. For yeah, real. And, like, get on yeah. it, guys. Yeah, get on it. No. Okay, on behalf of Christine Jackinger from Sites Without Walls, this is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media. Be kind to each other. Be good webmasters. Do the right thing. Rank well. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye.